A quick introduction for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before. I'm Daniel, and each week I bring you a conversation with someone who I think is inspirational or brings something inspiring to the podcast. It's about things that change or could change our lives, and that's why I called it Life Changes You. Listen to the range of topics around psychology, mental health, and inspiration, and find out how life changes you. The episode you're about to hear has some distressing content. It is about a young woman who was born into a cult and abused sexually, mentally, and physically. We have been working on this for two years and have decided to omit a lot of the sexual traumatic content as we don't think it is needed to convey the story. Emma is courageous and inspirational for wanting to tell her story in the hopes that it will help others. I hope that you will listen with compassion, kindness, and support. Again, be warned that we speak about mental, physical, and sexual abuse. Please turn off now if you feel this could trigger emotions in yourself or trauma. Please don't listen if young people are around. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. My name's Daniel and this week I'm uh, returning with a guest that you might remember from either last year or the year before. It's Emma from End the Silent Epidemic. And uh, hello, Emma, how are you? Hello, Daniel. It's so great to be back. I'm just so honored once again to to be on your podcast. And we've become quite the pals over the past couple of years. And I'm just so glad to be back. Well, we have. We talk a lot by message and we talk a lot in real life over Instagram. And this is your second podcast. So it's really good to have you back. We've got a few things we're going to cover in this section. But what I'd like to ask you first is tell me what End the Silent Epidemic is about. Thank you so much for asking. So um, I founded End the Silent Epidemic in uh, January of 2021. And there were two foundational reasons that I founded this this movement. And I should just quickly say what it is. Um, it's a youth peer-to-peer support and gatekeeping mental health, mental wellness, and suicide prevention movement. Yeah. But the thing of it is, is that when I started the Instagram page called End the Silent Epidemic in January of 2021, that is not at all what it was. It was actually just, it was just going to be a personal page um, to kind of post positive messages, spread a little positivity because I had actually literally two days prior to starting the page uh, fallen and broken my neck in two places. Yeah. And at the time, I was uh, only a few months away from graduating from nursing school. The injury uh, with the, the broken neck, although I'm so excited to say, and I actually haven't even had a chance to tell you this, Daniel, I have actually now graduated and taken my boards and I'm a registered nurse. Um, and that's fantastic, isn't it? Because yeah. yeah, the last time we spoke, you'd had quite a lot of time off from your studies because of your yeah. broken neck and you were hoping to get back to it. And now you've got back to it and you finished. Exactly. So what happened was that you know, rewinding back the prognosis at the time was they weren't sure that I would be able to return to nursing because nursing is quite a physical, is quite a physical job. Um, And so I found myself quite lost and it was, uh, it was a bit of a dark moment because I kind of, I found myself asking myself the big questions, you know, where do I go from here? What's next? Uh, How am I going to make a living? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, 
and I had had moments in my life, which we'll get to later in the episode, where I had faced these really um, kind of big questions and, and, and dark moments. And in the past, they had kind of brought me to places that challenged me to almost a, a breaking point. And, and this time I wanted to, to do something different. I wanted to, um, I wanted to, instead of focusing on myself, I wanted to, to turn outwards and sit say, okay, the world is really struggling right now. There are so many people struggling. Yes, this this is tough. Yes, this is hard. I don't want to minimize this, but there's so many people going through stuff. Let me see what happens if I take a different road and just try putting out positivity and just kind of taking the, the path of we're all in this together and let's get through this together. And it turned into something with a life of its own. And now almost a year and a half or so later, it's turned into a full-fledged movement. And as I will be getting to this soon, but um, I did have to take a a six-month hiatus. So that kind of stopped the momentum temporarily. But um, now that we're back, um, I'm calling it End the Silent Epidemic, the next chapter. We have some just incredibly exciting things on tap. The main thing I'd like to talk about being that pretty much since the beginning of the uh, the movement, we've been doing an initiative called Friends for Life, which is a youth peer-to-peer suicide prevention initiative yeah. um, that is based on, so I, I should mention uh, my first degree was uh, in, in psychology and I'm a bit of a, a research nerd. Yeah. Um, I, I find it fun to uh, read peer-reviewed articles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And so I built this model called Friends for Life that's based on peer-to-peer mental health gatekeeping, which put a little more simply is essentially just since we have such a shortage of mental health professionals in in, in the world, for instance, in America, only 80% of youth with a diagnosable mental illness are able to um, access, I'm sorry, only 20% of youth with a diagnosable mental illness are able to access care. We need to start finding other ways to help people with suicide now being the second leading cause of death in youth 10 to 34 years old. So, and the silent epidemic's answer to that is what's called peer-to-peer mental health gatekeeping, which can be as simple as checking in on your friends and normalizing uh, mental health and emotional honest conversations. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, so, that's what I'm all about as well, is ending stigma, opening up dialogue for people to be able to talk about what's going on in their life without feeling worried or scared about what someone's going to say to them and realising that no matter what issue you have, they can be sorted out. You know, even the worst things, if you've got yourself in a big hole of money and you can't afford to live and there's all these things going on, that's still not a reason for suicide because you can go bankrupt, you can get help from friends, help from a bank. You know, there are so many reasons why people need to keep living and the worst things that can happen to you, there are always ways to find a more positive outcome. And it might not be tomorrow, the next day, it might be a few months away, but we can always turn ourselves around. I I think that's such an important perspective. And I think that what stands in the way of that being realized is the fact that because of stigma, people don't feel like they can ask for that help. So, you know, if we take even any of the 
example, wonderful examples you just gave. Uh, let's go with the, the bankruptcy one. Let's say someone needs $500 and, and that could be enough to get them to a place where they could get over the hump to get them back in, in a more virtuous circle. There's also such a stigma around asking for help of any kind, whether it's emotional help, uh, financial help, anything. And so that that stigma and that silencing, um, you know, that is the is it's lethal. Um, and, and and that's of course foundational to our name. Um, yeah, and and look, I mean, uh, I guess uh, what I really liked about your organisation is that you are uh, helping people younger. Because I think that there's a lot of young kids nowadays with pressures from social media, pressures from peer groups to be the same as everybody else or to be better than everybody else, to look better than everybody else. And I think with uh, youth, they're actually falling through the cracks when we look at some mental health. There's not always mental health services available. And to have a an organisation like yours that puts up reels that are positive um, with people of their age group that they can relate to, because it's okay for me and you. I mean, you're a lot younger than me, but you and I to go, okay, let's talk about suicide prevention or let's talk about mental health. But kids of 15 to 25 or 23, they don't want to hear from old people. They want to hear from people their age. So then when they see people talking about these issues, they can relate to it and they can say, oh, actually, I feel like that or I know someone who feels like that. And that's a lot better than me saying it to them, isn't it? Well, thank you so much for pointing that out. And and that gives me such a, a great chance to bring up the fact that and the silent epidemic is is by no means um, Emma Ader's movement it's not first of all it's now we are now a seven person team and the reason i bring that up in regards to what you were just saying is two of our members are 15 and 16 and we're so proud of that because of what you just said which is that in order to actually help youth that are struggling with suicide we need to have the perspective and input of actual youth yeah. <laughs> not that yeah. i'm not i technically fall within the the high the, the highest um you know uh risk age group 10 to 34 but you know i'm i'm getting i'm getting at the end there um and so having these this uh Ava Martin and and Kalista who are who are 15 and 16 um it, it's just it's so critical and um for instance we have a, a live called youth perspectives in which Ava hosts um people from her peers from her high school and they talk about mental health issues relevant to uh that age group and so thank you so much for saying that and i just want to give a big shout out to my team um and quickly name them Ariel, Nancy Cowden, who's a 30-year veteran um, therapist, Hannah Sove, who's a high school math teacher with a master's degree, and then Kalisa and Ava, who I just mentioned. And then finally, and this brings us back to Friends for Life, um, our first male teammate, Jai Card Beasley, who is a computer engineer and app developer. Wow. Where we're getting really exciting about the future of Friends uh, and the silent epidemic next chapter. We're hoping by the end of the, the 2022 to be releasing Friends for Life beta on the iTunes, on the app store. Yep. Um, why I'm so excited about that is what you just said, which is that youth are falling through the cracks because of so many reasons, lack of access to services. And what this, why we feel so um, positive about this app is that 
it is the first youth specific and proactively going at this, the issue of suicide prevention app um, on the market, uh, like uh, it's one of a kind. And what it's um, essentially just, you know, kind of the elevator pitch of it is that um, it's going to be a community of mental health positive youth where you meet your what is called friend for life which is a person who on every friends for life friday you can you send a mental health check in and it's going to be something that takes as little as 30 seconds if you want because what will happen is every friday you'll get a push notification reminding you to send your check-in and when you open it it'll open up to six pre-made graphics that we make fresh each week with positive messages and so if you don't have a lot of time that week all you have to do is choose your favorite one you send it to your friend and it's going to be embedded with five four emojis at the bottom a happy face a neutral face a chat emoji and the 988 suicide prevention lifeline logo yep it's they're interactive and each partner presses one. If each partner presses the smiley face or neutral face, the check-in can take 30 seconds. If they press the chat button, it means that they wanna talk. And if they press the 988 button, it immediately connects them to the lifeline. And then their partner gets a notification that pulls up what will be their pre-filled out suicide safety plan and mental health emergency plan yeah. um so I, I don't want to go too much into the details but we're making it fun you know social easy and like incredibly you know because youth these days if we're being honest have a bit of a short attention span exactly. we want to make it as easy to use as possible so that's why we're gonna you know we're gonna give them the graphics and and icebreakers and convo topics and we're going to make it as fun and interactive and as possible and, and and see if we can make a difference that sounds fantastic and i guess when that's coming out then you can come back on and we can or we, you can join me on a live and we can talk about how it works and uh, let people know that it's out there and how they can interact with it and how they get on board I mean, look, you've come a long way since our first conversation, which was only, I think, you and one other person then, and now you've got seven in your team. So it's brilliant to see how you've grown, and and it's definitely something that's needed out there. And I couldn't think of anyone better to be at the head of End the Silent Epidemic than yourself because we're going to talk about this in a minute, but what you've been through in your life and your resilience and your courage to get to where you are now is quite remarkable because people will understand as they hear what we talk about in a minute, you have had the hardest start in life to I think anyone I've spoken to and you've come out and at the other end. And that doesn't mean that everything was rosy after a while. It's taken you a long time to get to where you are now. And I think we've been talking on and off for about two years about the podcast we're going to do now uh, because there's lots of things in it and it's actually good that it's been brought to light by lots of other people now because then you've got a support network behind you when people find out about this cult that you were involved. Well, you weren't involved in, you were born into and it's it's it, there's a lot of content here that we need to discuss, and we're not going to go into 
the deepest detail on things because I think uh, just listening to what you've been through and what's happened to you is enough for people to understand without having the graphic details. Very much agreed. And can I just say that um, coming from you, your words just, uh, they mean, they mean such a great deal because, um, you know, uh, when we get in, into my story, um, there, there have been moments when I, when I've really, I've, I've wondered why, um, but, and the silent epidemic is why, and um, changing, helping, or best case scenario, saving even one life has managed to be the greatest form of healing for, for what happened to me early in life and, and since then. And I'm so grateful to you for giving me an opportunity to show people that having a hard start in life or, or having a hard go of it at any point doesn't have to be the end. No, and look, this is another reason why I started Life Changes You because everybody has a story to tell. Some people's stories are quite easy to listen to. Yours will be a little bit harder to listen to, but it's an important story for people to see from a suicide perspective, how your resilience has carried you through this because we've spoken and you've had some really hard times when I've spoken to you and then you've had some really uplifting times. And it puts into context that sometimes what we're going through, we think it's the worst thing and it might not be the worst thing. And what you've been through and to be where you are now is it's a blessing for all of us. It's a blessing that people will hear your story and it's good to see that now you've come through everything and you're at a point where your positivity is now shining through again because you've been able to work through that and come to a place which is really positive. And, I mean, I'm looking at you now and I can just see the smile on your face, which is a lot different to when I first met you two years ago. It was almost like a forced smile as if, like, oh, I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I've got all this stuff inside me. But now your face just lights up. I was silenced, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, Daniel, um, you know, there's no one that I would trust to, uh, this is the first time in my lifetime that I'm, I'm telling this story and there's no one I would trust uh, more to, to tell it for the first time with. And I'm so grateful to you for what you've said and, the truth of the matter is, is that the reason I want to tell this story is because my story, what happened to me, it's, well, while it, it may be exceptional in that it's weird and it has its oddities, the truth of the matter is, is that the really sad truth is that at this point in time, it's becoming more the rule than the exception that human beings at one point or another in their life have a serious violation of consent of their dignity or of their fundamental human rights. And so my, I'm not exceptional. The only thing that I have to offer is that I have had the privilege of um, protective factors and to give myself a little bit of credit, I've, I've fought like hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if I can, if my, it's not so much my story of, it's not my story of abuse that's important. My the story that's really important is that I started out where I did. And today I'm almost 32 years old. I um, have two bachelor's degrees. Uh, I just passed my NCLEX and I'm going to be adopting a child in a couple of years. Um, and of course, I still have my struggles. Um, 
you know, life isn't black and white. Things aren't just, you know, things aren't just, you know, solved or, or, or um, you know, cured. But I think the, the, the real, um, hopefully, meaningful and, and, and impactful part of, of what I have to offer is that you can start really low and, and you can end up something somewhere really beautiful really beautiful yeah you can and and look i think uh people will understand the context of what we're going to talk about and understand why you are a resilient person and courageous and even though you've still had all that that's come before you you've come to this place and that doesn't mean that you're healed that you're over it that you've moved on there's probably still a lot that you'll have to go through but you've come to a place now where you're positive you want to talk about it to help other people and I think that's a really positive place to be okay so what we're going to talk about now with Emma is her life being born into a cult it was run by Yogi Bhajan and it's Kundalini Yoga And this is out there. Lots of people have come forward and reported what has happened to them. This is Emma's story. And this is a really important story because Emma was held in such high regard by Yogi Bhajan that she was almost an idol. But that doesn't mean that she was happy and healthy and looked after really well because it almost puts her, it does put her in a position where she suffered from sexual, physical abuse, emotional abuse at the hands of Yogi Bhajan. But we do want to make it clear that there are many Kundalini practitioners and teachers out there who are teaching Kundalini yoga, and we realise that they have nothing to do with this, that this was what happened when Yogi Bhajan was in control. So Emma will explain a little bit more in detail about, because I think it's 3HO, which is still continuing, um, so tell us a little bit about 3HO. Yeah, well, so first of all, thank you again, Daniel, for, for giving me this, this platform. Um, and uh, I would just like to say um, to anyone listening, thank you for, for listening to this. And I, I also I want to reiterate Daniel's message, which is that first of all, um, well, actually, I, I should start by saying the reason I'm finally able to speak about this is that I recently finally finished a legal case in pursuit of justice for what happened to me. And I pursued that legal case via mediation because this is not by any means a scorched earth campaign to me. I am not someone who wants to burn down this community, this system, certainly not Kundalini Yoga. And um, there are even members of the 3HO community who were unaware of the the depravity of what was going on. And so I chose to pursue this via mediation, even though I was told by every legal person in the world that I was going to get pennies on the dollar in terms of, you know. Compensation. Yeah, that wasn't really what mattered to me anyway, because I wanted to protect those people that are part of that community that had good intentions and that and, and that we're trying to lead good lives. And I certainly didn't want to um, drag Kundalini Yoga or make people that practice Kundalini Yoga, which can be a very health giving and well, you know, mental wellness bringing practice. Um, I didn't want to, you know, brand it with this, this, this name um, because they are not one and the same. He, he, he does not deserve or should not have the power to, um, to, ruin such a wonderful thing 
Yeah, definitely. And and look, I mean, when you read all these reports, because over the last few days I've read quite a few reports, and if anybody's interested in reading the Olive Branch report, it's readily available online uh, about Kundalini, well, not specifically Kundalini Yoga, but Yogi Bhajan, um, and it, it details everything that he did, the women that have come forward, some men that have come forward who have said that they were physically abused, some were sexually abused, uh, mentally abused, and, you know, this was going on for a long time. And we have to also add the context to when he was around, he was um, he was a powerful figure because presidents and popes and people like that all respected what he was saying. So it's bizarre, I guess, for some people to understand that someone who at face value uh, gives one impression but behind closed doors, and this is what's coming from what we've spoken about in the past and also what's all documented online, is that behind those closed doors he was a completely different man. I mean, but look, you know, I, I think it's you should say what sort of things happened because I've seen your photos this week. I think I said that earlier, and that gave me a really good insight into how close you were to him because if you're not sitting on his lap, you're sitting in front of him. And, you know, you said just before to me that, but even though he held you in such high regard there, it didn't stop him from abusing you physically, emotionally and sexually. Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you. That was really an amazingly well done and succinct summary of an incredibly complicated issue and, and, and situation. To give a, a little bit of history and context, uh, Yogi Bhajan was once just a, a young man. He was born in India. And to speak to what you said about how, you know, he had presidents and governors and religious leaders, um, you know, all, all, you know, believing in him and, and supporting him. Um, but behind closed doors, he was like, exactly like you said, he um, he was involved in, um, in, in just, yeah, I won't even go into it, but the, the things that I saw, uh, I, they almost, um, they almost big belief. <laughs> so, um, but the reason for that, to be honest, and, and um, I do feel like I can say this with a little bit of authority, just because of, of my training and degrees, he, he was perhaps one of the most um, kind of classic sociopaths um, in terms of being uh, uh, being incredibly charismatic, unfortunately, almost genius level intelligent, and uh, that is how he was able to pull that off. So, when he came to America as a young man, it was in I believe around the '60s when, in America, a lot of uh, kind of what you would call the baby boomer population were really interested in Eastern religions. Yeah. Um, and he, like I said, was very intelligent. And so he saw an opportunity to um, make a lot of money, get a lot of power and live the rest of his life in incredible excess and um, comfort by um, taking what is one of the largest religions in the world, which is Sikhism. And I want to be really clear here that Sikhism and 3HO, American Sikhism, need to very much be separated because yeah. Sikhism is a 
huge worldwide practice religion, obviously founded in India, but very much practiced in the UK and all around the world. And much like Kundalini Yoga, he has no right to um, to to profane it. So yeah. when I um, when I speak about three HO um, Sikhism, please know that I am not in any way condemning that religion or Kundalini Yoga, but he saw an opportunity to take an Eastern religion and the zeitgeist of the time, which was that people were interested in, in joining these kind of um, clean lifestyle living Eastern communities. And he started a community. I believe the first one was in LA, but the the main, what was called, they're called ashrams, ended up being in Española, New Mexico, which yeah. is uh, where I grew up and where his main compound was um and it it was um you know and and this is why uh you know this is really starting to hit the media now vice news just came out with an episode it it was very much you know i guess kind of when you think of waco how the, how there was a compound and yeah. you know there wasn't that particular community was not as into um having an arsenal, but in every other way, it was very similar. The home I grew up in was behind a uh, six to 10 foot um, uh, tall wall that had a gate that looks like it's straight out of Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm not kidding you. It had a a watchtower. Yeah. Um, You were properly secured. Yes. And, um, and one of the things that was so hard about growing up um, in that compound is that um, one of the ways I was kept in line and kept silent um, and and why I, I was uh, my, my mom was not able to get me out of the situation was because he had armed guards um, constantly surveilling the property, yeah. his estate and um, my, my house was probably the closest house of anyone's in the community to his property. Um, but so, yes, yeah, so I was, I, I was born into this, into this situation and um, I, I'll never really understand why, um, but he, one of the people that um, knows him probably best in the world, one of, he, he had what he called secretaries, yeah. which unfortunately is essentially a euphemism for what, ended up being uh, they were essentially he treated them as concubines they were um women in in their young 20s who he kept on his estate and if you read the olive branch report you um you can see how they were victimized he he had three true obsessions um and uh the two that the two others um came several years before me and, and they were adult women and then um i was that was the final one um because I, when he began abusing me when I was age four, he was, he was in his seventies already, or uh, and and beginning to be quite ill. But he, obsession is really is the best word I can use. And um, as you alluded to before, he, he during the 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 one and a half, little over one and a half years in which I was uh, being abused in one way or another um, on a daily basis, I would say one of the things that wore me down the most was that 
I was literally never allowed to not be within inches of his body. Yeah. Um, some of the pictures I sent you, um, every summer, for instance, there would be a summer solstice celebration that uh, there's a picture in which I'm up on the stage with him. Uh, and just like always, you know, he's, he's holding me as if, if he let me go, you know, something horrible would happen. And um, yeah. so... And as you were saying before, I think it was before we came back on, when you were sitting on his lap at some of those summer solstice things and you're sitting on his lap or you're sitting right near him and you also said that, you know, because you were held in such high regard by him, even though the abuse was happening, people wanted to come and touch you and be with you because you were like that idol and it's, it must have been, well, it must be hard for even people who were there at the time to realise now that, yes, you were held in high regard by him, but you were also almost his plaything that he could abuse sexually, mentally, emotionally, physically. And some of those people who were watching that would now be going, oh, my God, I would have never thought that would have happened because she was always up there like an idol, and yet, you know, this is what happens with someone who's manipulative like he is or was and how he knows how to change the way people think. I mean, I just want to give you um, it's a passage that he said in 1978 in a lecture, and this is out there as well. But what he said is rape is always invited. It never happens. A person who is raped is always providing subconsciously the environments and the arrangements. Now, for someone just saying that, it beggars belief that anyone would come up with something like that. But that actually gives us a window into that he didn't think anything he did was wrong, that he just did what he wanted to do and he was being invited to do it. I mean, that's a pretty screwed up person. And unfortunately for you, you were stuck with him. I'm so glad you brought up that quote because um, that that sums him up so well. Um, one of the, the most dangerous parts about him is that, um, I don't know if you've heard of this phenomenon of people who are incredibly wealthy or you know, essentially people who have been able to attain everything that they can ever attain in life. And so uh, there's nothing left to want. Um, they, they, they keep escalating things. Um, and as you can imagine, he had um, it part, a lot of, in order to join the cult, people often would sign over their house deeds, um, give them all his money. Um, so, you know, money was not even, he, his estate is uh, valued, I think close, somewhere in the several hundred millions. Yeah, close, right? yeah. Um, he had all the women, he wanted he had so um one of the things that was the most terrifying about being constantly at his um mercy Side. yeah being so small was that um he was always looking to he he, he was a tr true sociopath and he had everything he needed and wanted so he always had to find a new way to to entertain himself and escalate things and satisfy uh, what he wanted exactly and and if you read the olive branch report you'll you'll see um 
you know, how, how perverse and dark he took things. But um, one thing I do want to say that, that I can say without getting into any sort of graphic details or, or talking about anything is that um, the way he, uh, one, of, one of, pardon me, the mo mode of abuse that most broke my spirit um, that he um, conducted very, very often was uh, that he engaged in asphyxiation of me because um, he, like I said, he needed that thrill. And um, what would happen is that he began to escalate it to the point where I would pass out because um, he got that adrenaline rush of what I wake up. Yeah. And um, the reason I bring this up, I, I'm sorry, that's a very, a very dark thing to say, but um, it really gets to the core of, and the silent epidemic and why I've made suicide prevention work of my life's purpose. And it's because um, when this first started happening, um, you know, the, the, all, all, all human beings have a, um, an instinct to fight for their life. And uh, when this first started happening to me, um, my brain would start saying, oh my gosh, you know, please wake up, please wake up. I, I have, this can't be the last thing I say. This, I, I want to see my mom again, things like that. And um, the worst day of my life was, um, uh, you know, the umpteenth time that he did this. Um, when, the, when I started, you know, things started getting dark and I, I know that I was approaching that, 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 that point and I expected my brain to kick in and, and start freaking out. Um, an incredible peace came over me and I, um, I said that my mind said that, um, the world, that this was a world that was not one that I could live in and that the world was not this was too evil of a, a world to fight for anymore. Um, and that is the moment in which, um, you know, I, I lost my innocence and, and, and my, um, my belief in God and my, and my will to live. Yeah. And, uh, that was the darkest moment of my life. Um, but I'm very glad to say I, I did wake up from that and, and several other um, events like that. And um, unfortunately, that is what um, began, of course, in addition to just PTSD and trauma that would carry forward with anyone with this kind of situation. Um, it's what um, really made it so that um, suicide became a, a real struggle for me in my life because I really struggled with this issue of, you know, I've, I've seen a world of such darkness. Um, yeah. I've, and I think, um, it wasn't just that he could do this, but that there were not, not even dozens, but probably over 50 people who didn't necessarily know what was going on exactly behind those closed doors, but, who saw various levels of my abuse yeah. or even like you mentioned before um, pe people would line up and 
um, you know, while the other children were, were playing and I, I would be looking over at them, wishing that I could be there. And yeah. I, instead I, I was being held out like, like a, like a dog or, or, a, or, a you know, something and, and people would come up and, 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 and touch me. Like I was, you know, kind of like a, some sort of, um, totem of luck or something. Yeah. And look, I think I think also there is that you're saying that you would rather be playing and some of those parents that were in there with their children would be thinking, I wish that was my child up there with him. I wish that my child was held to such high regard without even knowing what's happening to you in the background behind the scenes. And it's, I guess it's smoke and mirrors that he used was, to the outside world, it looked amazing and here's you and everything's beautiful, but behind the scenes and you're wanting to just go and play because you know what darkness is there and then yeah. those other kids, the parents are going, oh, I wish that was you. Oh, you had the head on the nose. There was um, there was so much, so much jealousy and, and um, they, you know, yeah, exactly. And uh, so many people to this day argue that it wasn't abuse that that I'm I'm one of the luckiest people in the world because of how much time I got to spend with him and and yeah. um but but to to bring that very um kind of difficult message I was talking about oh, to a, to what I want to bring it to which is that when I was it right before I found it under the silent epidemic when I fell and broke my neck you know, and I don't, honestly, I, I don't know. Um, I certainly don't practice this specific religion. I don't know what to call, what most people would call God. But I, I, I do, thankfully, um, I lost for a long time my belief in that. But I do now, again, believe in, in a higher power. And when I fell and broke my neck when I was 30, um, I was lying on the floor and I, I couldn't move because... I was terrified that I was paralyzed and um, you know how people talk about your life flashing before your eyes. Um, I had kind of a, a similar thing, but instead of my life flashing before my eyes, God or higher power, whatever you want to call it, um, came to me for the first time since I was four and yeah. said that um, this happened to you because you were strong enough to survive it. And because the world is a dark place right now, and there are so many people who are going through things just as difficult, if not more difficult, and I'm back with you now. And to, together, we're gonna we're gonna spread a message of hope and light because each each individual person, if they live their authentic self and they are themselves, is a light that this world can't do without. And um, I I suddenly got the courage to move and I wasn't paralyzed. I, I was able to stand up and uh, I pretty much had my marching orders. I I knew it and I started in the silent epidemic. I went to the hospital, I got a brace put on my neck and I started in the silent epidemic the next day. And look, this is where I say that you show great resilience and courage and you will inspire people through what you've been through. And as I said before, it's not that you've gone through it, it's finished, you're on to the next thing. It will still be with you, uh, but your life has been so traumatic from a young age. 
and you know the the two different shades there of people idolizing you but you having a different life because you know what's happening in the background and uh you know to come through this is just incredible and as we said at the beginning before we started talking about this this is nothing to do with anyone who practices kundalini it's nothing to do with the teachers it's it's what happened in this compound uh when you were younger and uh well done to you for speaking up, coming forward. And yes, we have been speaking on and off for two years about doing this and wondering how we put it together. And look, if anybody wants to read the Olive Branch report, you can. That has graphic detail in it, which we chose not to share. Uh, we have gone quite deep with some of the things we've discussed, but it, it, the the Olive Branch report goes into a lot of detail about other people who have survived this. and. From my point of view, we didn't need to share that with you because it would be too horrific. But if you wanted to go and read that, you could. And also with Emma's story here, we haven't gone into the depths of depravity of what happened to her because that's neither here or there. You you can understand by what she's just said how bad it was, what happened to her, the horrific nightmare she lived in. And, you know, we don't need to go through exactly what happened because just from what Emma's spoken about, you can understand what happened to her, what she's been through and where she is now. And uh, I think now we should change this around. Go on. um, To comment on that, you know, um, when the, they used to, when there was a mass shooting event, they used to spend so much time on the mass shooter and then um, the network's, took a stance where they stopped even speaking the name of the mass shooter because um, they didn't want to give air to the uh, the perpetrator. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here, which is that Yogi Bhajan doesn't matter. His his legacy will, will fade into oblivion. Yeah. And what will matter and what will endure is um, is the good works and the hope and the light of the people who survived his darkness and yeah. turned it into something good. And and that's ultimately why I'm sharing my story because I'm here today. And like, like you said, this, this is never going to be over. It's never going to be fixed. It's never going to be perfect. But I can say to you with true authenticity that I am truly truly joyful in the life that I have built and fought for myself. And I say that because of course I'm so grateful, but I say that for the person who listening to this right now, who might be in that darkness and, and really drowning and not and struggling to find which way is up. Please know that I've been there. I've lived there for a long time, but it is it is worth continuing to fight to find where the light is, which way is up, because light, a, the smallest speck of light pushes away so much darkness. Yeah. And the key is, is leaning on other people, asking for help, and that's 
why an asylum epidemic is working so hard on ending the stigma and putting out resources and normalizing emotional authenticity and honesty and destigmatizing, um, you know, having, you know, it's okay not to be okay, um, that kind of message, because you need, some of it is you're going to be in the muck for a while, but if you can reach out for help, that's what gets you through the muck. Yeah. And then there comes a day when you're not in the muck. There yeah. really does come that day. Yeah. That's really the message that I want to leave. It, Yogi Bhajan doesn't matter. Um, I don't even matter. What matters is that a person can endure what I've endured and they can end up having a chance to help others make it through the same pain. And if that's not beauty and if that's not purpose and if that's not a reason to keep living, I don't know what is. Exactly. You summed it up really well. Well, look, Emma, thanks for being so open and honest about what's happened to you. I mean, it, it is a, it's a terrible experience for you to go through, but you know, uh, what sort of things are, are you looking forward to in your future now? Because, you know, part of when we discussed this before we came to record the podcast was you said that, you know, I want to talk about what happened to me through uh, this cult, but I also want to show people that there is a positive uh, future ahead. So what would you like to add that's your positive future? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to thank you again, Daniel, for, for giving me this opportunity. And to, uh, I want to quickly say that I want to thank my lawyers who helped me um, yeah. when this, this most, um, this, very difficult battle that and in terms of your question about the future i want to just say first of all i'm so happy that i have a future and that i'm here and um i want to just briefly in terms of what i mentioned before about how i had that moment where i i lost you know my my faith in in god and, and in life i want to say that um i'm so so incredibly grateful that I now would say that I value life so immensely and I have such incredible respect and for it. And it's something that is now my life's purpose to fight for. And so when it comes to my future, I guess the answer would be a, a couple of really exciting things. So obviously and the silent epidemic, um, that's just, that's my life now, you know, um, yeah. Listening is my absolute passion, and it's going to be um, an amazing way to 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 sustain myself. But and the silent epidemic is is um is going to be my life's work, and I'm looking forward to incorporating an aspect of survivor support, survivor resources, and helping anyone who may want to pursue justice navigate the process and kind of help them. Uh, know what to prepare for and that sort of thing. I would also like to say that I'm very excited that um, now that I'm a registered nurse, there's a type of nursing called SANE nursing, which stands for Sexual Assault Nurse Examiner. Um, And it's a role where, because it's something that you really only do once a month or something because of of the the heaviness of it, but It's, I learned in nursing school a very interesting fact, which victims of sexual assault and rape are the only 
types of patients who arrive in an emergency room, who from the moment they walk into the door till the moment they leave, they're the only type of patient who gets a dedicated nurse that never leaves their side. Yeah. And that's a, a sexual assault nurse examiner. And that person's role is to help support them psychologically, physically, and then if they would like to, to help collect the forensic evidence that they can then use at some point if they decide to pursue justice. On a personal note, I am looking forward to um, when I uh, feel like I've, you know, really gotten to a place where I, I feel even further from this and um, I, I'm looking forward to adopting a child. I've always wanted to be a mother and I feel that adoption is, is, is a beautiful beautiful option for me. So um, I'm so excited for that. Yeah, I guess I just, I want to just, I just want to reiterate the message one last time, if it's okay, that you matter and you're a light that this world can't do without, whether it's in your childhood or whether it's in your eighties or who knows, like I said, it's becoming more the rule than the exception that, that as human beings, we have significant struggles or we we have a violation of our consent, our rights, our dignity, our, 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 our human rights. And I think that my future is about fighting for a world where instead of that being something to feel ashamed of, it's something that we all come together to support each other in so that we can make it through the dark times so that we can reach the end of the tunnel and the light and we can have a future and we can have the beauty and the life. Life changes you and it changes you for the better if you fight through the mucky parts and if you ask for help. So come to end the silent epidemic. If we're not right for you, go to Trevor Project, go to to write love on her arms, go to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. If mental health isn't what you struggle with, if it's physical, if it's your sexual identity, if it's, um, you know, reach out, don't be ashamed, be proud. Be proud of having the strength and the resilience to wanna fight for your life. That is something that takes true courage. And I just wanna say that if you're listening to this, there's a reason. There's a reason that you came across this. If there's anything I've said, that has brought you any hope. I, I'm so honored that you took the time to listen. I'm so grateful to Daniel for giving me this opportunity. Please keep fighting. And just, I just wanna thank, I wanna thank you and I wanna thank myself for fighting. And I wanna thank God or whatever we wanna call it for, for helping me find my life's purpose. And, and transform this pain into purpose. And I think it's really important that you just thank yourself because you should thank yourself for where you've come from, what you've dealt with, where you're going, uh, the traumatic upbringing you had and what that led you through and to. And so well done, Emma, for coming on and sharing your story. I'm sure people will listen and understand you a little better and understand your resilience and um it's not easy to 
go through what you've been through and come out the other side, let alone actually go publicly and talk about what you've been through. So that will help people either in cults, out of cults, um, having a traumatic uh, upbringing, being molested by a family member. All those different things are important from what you've talked about because it shows people that there are options, there are uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel and even though it can be traumatic and it can feel like your life is at an end, that you can, as you say, when you get through those murky black parts, you can continue and, you know, it could be a lifelong thing, your recovery, but you can still manage to do something and, and see the light. Absolutely. And if I may just add one thing, um, you know, I think my ability to help would be made so much more effective if people would reach out with ideas questions and ways in which I can be most helpful to them. So please, you know, visit our website, www.endthesilentepidemic.org. Get on our Instagram, email us at info at endthesilentepidemic.org. Give us ideas, ask us questions. I, I will personally read it and take it incredibly to heart because I believe that putting our minds together is the way we're going to solve this. And with your help and your ideas, maybe I can take what happened to me and turn it into something that's really meaningful and, and can bring some, some light to the world. Fantastic. Thank you, Emma. Thank you for joining me. And uh, we will be in touch and we will do some more things in the future. And thank you for sharing your story with everybody. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you for being my ally over these past two years. I, I don't think... Uh, you know how much you've meant to me and, and how much you've uh, how much you've helped me. When I first met you, the smile was almost painted on. Today I see the smile in your eyes, in your mouth, your whole face lights up and that shows that you've been through what you've been through and you've come to this position and hopefully your life continues to be more happy and more joyful. I think it will and I'm just so grateful. Bless you, Daniel, and bless everyone who's listening. No more silence, not on our watch. Let's fight this together. That's it. All right. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and share on social media and subscribe. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and watch live conversations on Wednesdays and get daily updates. You can also follow the YouTube channel and watch live conversations and listen to the podcast from there. Keep sending in your emails and messages as I love reading them and interacting with you, and I'll always respond to you. So until next week, take care of yourselves and each other.